is Wyman and Bob. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. A lot happening in the world of the NFL, and so far, not a lot of it uh, going on with the Seahawks in the way of acquiring talent. We have players leaving, and here to discuss everything that's happening with this team and other teams is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. You read his stuff in the Seattle Times, and you hear him right here, Bob Condota with us. How are you, man? Good. Hey, yeah, how are you guys doing? We're good, Bob. Hey, do you still have the wild hair going? <laughs> You know, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I know. It's disappointing. I, 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 sort, of, disappointing. I sort of saved that. Yeah, I saved that for the time of year I actually see people instead of this time of year when I'm just kind of hunkered down. Well, I was just in, I, in isolation. I've got a COVID head going on right now that's lots, lots of wild <laughs> oh. hair going everywhere, so I'm going to have to tame it up. But I was just wondering about you. It's <laughs> wild I think, hair. Seahawk, our listeners, they wanted to know. Yeah, I sure that was the, the, the top thing. If he, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, we got that out of the way. We got that out of the way. So, a lot, Bob, a lot happening around the league. Not much with the Seahawks other than losing players. Cody Barton signs a one-year deal with the Washington Commanders. Shelby Harris is out. Uh, doesn't appear that Puna Ford's part of the proceedings moving forward. They, they've got a lot of holes. And in, just in looking last night, realizing, oh, that's right, Kyle Fuller is an unrestricted free agent. They don't have a single center on the roster. So what, I don't know what, which position is the biggest priority to you right now, whether it's draft or whether it's a free agent, which one needs to be addressed first in your mind? Yeah, they, they do have Joey Hunt. So he has started like 11 games in his career. At center, yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, no, I, that, no, I agree with you. I, I uh, for sure. Uh, center, center and linebacker are, uh, are the two kind of really glaring spots right now, where you just got to find some bodies at some point, I guess. But uh you know, they got the 10 draft picks, and so I think that's playing into what they're doing a little bit. But this is sort of always, you know, in general, been the Seahawks' M.O. to kind of wait out this first wave of free agency, then kind of try to pick some bargains. And I know that can frustrate some people who maybe want to, want to get excited about adding a big name or, you know, feeling like they've really uh, been aggressive about filling some holes, but that's never really been their M.O. Um, you know, they did get Geno Smith done, so that, you know, I so you can't say they've done nothing in the offseason. I mean, they, they did take care of kind of the number one thing that they had to do. But, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it is, it, it will be interesting to see once they do start acquiring some players who they are and where they fit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't surprised that Cody Barton's not back, but it does, you know, just the fact that we now see for sure that he's gone. Um, they, they're going to have to do something there at linebacker for sure, just to add some bodies. Um, as, you know, I think it's worth reminding if, if I expect them at some point probably to resign Ryan Neal, if they do that with Jamal Adams, you know, they might be thinking they're going to use three safeties a lot. Um, you know, the way they, I think they wanted to do this year with, uh, with using Jamal Adams, a lot of weak side linebackers. So I think that's something to, to kind of keep in mind because I, I don't know that that weak side linebacker is a spot they're going to be super aggressive about trying to spend a lot of money on somebody for, and it is something they could go get in the draft as well. Well, Bob, it's it's been. I mean, look, you, you can't say the Seahawks haven't taken some some big cuts in free agency. I mean, they they went after and got Jimmy Graham. You know, however you feel about that, Percy Harvin didn't work out. I was trying to remember though when they signed Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. Was that kind of like a a week two or second day? type of I, I don't think that year they signed you, neither of those guys were big splashy guys do you remember how that went down no yeah you're exactly right I, that was sort of a second wave kind of thing and it was yeah it was it was a really it was kind of a weird and deep market that year 
um, for defensive ends and, and kind of edge rush guys. And for sure, yeah, they, they sort of waited that out a little bit. And uh, I actually wasn't actually wasn't covering the team yet then, so I didn't cover that specific part of of all of that. So I, I, I some of the particulars of who went before them, I don't really recall. But yes, both Cliff and Mike sort of went the next day after the first day of free agency, and they each were kind of real bargains and. And if you recall in Cliff Averill's case, he had sort of turned down a bigger contract with Detroit the year before to sort of take the gamble mm-hmm. of getting into free agency and then ended up signing a smaller deal with Seattle. But then it worked out. They won the Super Bowl in the following year. He then kind of got his big payday when he then signed an extension with Seattle in 2014. And the same was sort of the, same was sort of the case with Bennett. Um, and, and Bennett was just sort of a guy that people just weren't really – you know, he just didn't have a big market at the time. Uh, you know, and Cliff, I think, was sort of the same, just a little bit off-Broadway there in Detroit because Detroit obviously wasn't having a lot of success at the time, and, and Tampa Bay hadn't really either while Bennett was there. So, um, you know, I think that's one of those things uh, um, that's sort of been their M.O. a little bit to try to get, you know, guys like that a little bit more, and it certainly worked well there. But you're right. You know, they've always, they've always sort of uh, – uh, they have made some big moves. As you mentioned, Jimmy Graham was a trade, and Percy Harvin was a trade. And then one of their other things has always been trying to keep some money to be flexible for things that might happen later. You know, John Snyder will always remind us that, you know, you guys, that you know, us and the media and whatever will point to some specific days. And he's like, anything can happen all 365 days of the year. And like, you know, the money they had to go get Sheldon Richardson in August, a couple of, you know, five or six years ago, whenever that was. And uh, Jadavian Clowney, um, you know, I think it was the following year or two years after when they got Clowney in, in a trade as well. And that they had kept some, salary cap flexibility to make some moves like that. So they're not a team that you should ever just say, yeah, they got 18 million and expect them to spend that all on the first, you know, the first week of free agency. So when you, when you look at, at the needs that they have and man, they had such a tremendous draft last year. I was saying earlier, Bob, that as awesome as that was, you can't count on it. Yeah. They got 10 picks and hopefully you, you get a bunch of them that develop, but the idea that they're going to duplicate what they did last year doesn't feel realistic in terms of having just starters all around the field that are all rookies again. Maybe they will. It'll be great. But just in addressing all of these holes, do you do you see one position you look at and go, well, man, you got to you got to get somebody with experience there, whether it's a center, whether it's a linebacker. Uh, do do you look at any position that needs experience more than than others, or you feel like, all right, maybe they can try a rookie at those spots? Yeah, um, I mean, I think just the front seven in general, I, I do expect them to make, you know, some moves there to, to add two or three guys at some point on the front seven. Uh, on the front seven, and yeah, and if it's not Puna Ford, if they don't, if they don't bring him back, sort of use that cap space to to go get somebody there. Uh, centers, center's been a weird spot for them. They've obviously run through an awful lot of centers since they since they traded Max Unger, and they've had some success sometimes just kind of plugging some guys in, you know. And I think that's, I think that's sometimes influenced. I, my, my theory has been that maybe some of the success they've had at times with some of the guys they've just kind of plugged and played in there has played into their idea that, you know, maybe they can kind of get away with it a little bit. Um, but there are some centers in the draft that could be there at the time when, when they, um, you know, they got the five picks in the top 83, obviously, and, and that, there, you know, there could be a center or two there in the second or third rounds that might really fit this kind of a long-term options and some guys that, you know, the you know, there's kind of been reports the Seahawks are interested in. So maybe, you know, I, my theory is then maybe they go a little bit kind of bargain hunting for a veteran to make sure they have a guy there, but then, you know, kind of go draft a guy as well. So I, I haven't, you know, it hasn't surprised me that they, that they might not be overly aggressive in the center market um, with that spot. And, and uh, you know, if they had wanted to bring back Ethan Posick, that kind of went out the window. He, he got a pretty good payday from the uh, Cleveland Browns today. So, um, you know, if they kind of wanted to get a guy that at least had some, some familiarity or something, they, 
they didn't do that. But, uh, you know, those are kind of the two glaring spots. I mean, you look at, you look at the secondary and it seems like they've kind of got guys there. They could, they can rely on mostly with bringing who they got back, obviously, you know, receiver and running back, but you know, their skill positions on offense are more about kind of adding depth and, and maybe some complimentary pieces than they are kind of going out and getting some big splash guys. Yeah, and it seems like in this draft that, um, you know, defensive tackles uh, also uh, a need. And, you know, any indicate any indication at any point, Bob, that they had second thoughts about the 3-4 versus the 4-3 the and that, that maybe Pete steps back in and, you know, maybe is a little bit more hands-on with the defense? Have you heard anything in that regard? Well, Pete's just talked – I mean, not about like scrapping it entirely. Pete has just talked a lot more. You know, Pete kind of uses that phrase connection all the time or connecting and, you know, saying that connecting the personnel a little bit better and being a little bit tighter with the scheme and the personnel. I do think there's some aspects of that, of just I I think they want to maybe narrow down a little bit some of what they do. I don't know if necessarily scrapping the 3 4, but, you know, one of Pete's, one of Pete's long, you know, things he was, forever one of the things he would always preach is that they didn't necessarily do a whole lot you know you know in the years when they were really good those four straight years when they led the nfl in fewest points you know everybody would talk about everybody knew what the seahawks were doing but the seahawks were so good at doing it it didn't matter and 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 you know the fact that they played that they basically had had a fairly basic and simple scheme by nfl standards anyway allowed the guys to play really fast i think they might have felt like last year you know there was kind of so much that they had added and things like that, that they had some guys maybe at times being, being confused by things that were going on or just kind of not, you know, not playing as quickly. And so I, I think there, I think there'll be some narrowing maybe of what they do, but I don't know about wholesale changes in what they do. I do think they, they, they feel like there's some uh, advantages to go on the, the route they're going with the way that NFL offenses are going and that they feel like the three, four in general is, is, is a better fit for that. Hey, so when we talked to John Schneider, obviously the big news out of that conversation was their conversations with Bobby Wagner, who would certainly address a need. They need linebackers, and he's familiar. They're familiar, all that. Uh, it was just I just retweeted Ed Werder tweeted out that the Cowboys are having uh, talks with him. I assume maybe some other teams will get in the mix. What What do you think a about the idea of him just coming back here? Does he fit what they're trying to do defensively? And b do you, do you expect that this is where he lands, or do you expect he does end up with the Cowboys or another team we're not talking about? Well, I, I mean, right now, I think it's probably the Cowboys or the Seahawks. I, I think there is interest in in both in both the Seahawks and and from Bobby in, in a reunion there. But I, you know, it's not going to be for eighteen million, but with, you know that they were paying Bobby before, and and I think there is a, a little bit of um, you know kind of sensitivity, I guess, over how how does he come back? You know, you sort of moved on a little bit in terms of his, in terms of him being the leader of the defense and things like that. And I I think, you know, last year you kind of reestablished some new leaders on defense and just kind of in the locker room in general with both Bobby and Russell Wilson, not being there anymore. And, you know, obviously I I think they, they felt like that went pretty well and going nine and eight and a lot of the young guys kind of step into the floor. And so if you bring Bobby back, how does that influence everything? So I think, I think that's kind of part of some of the conversations there is, is um, you know him stepping into what would be a little bit of a different situation, uh, and you're right in terms of the, the going to the three four. I think that played a little bit into the decision with Bobby a year ago. Um, you know, Pete talked you know kind of more at length as the year went on about how those two linebacker spots were maybe a little bit more interchangeable than we often kind of thought, and I think a little more interchangeable than they were 
when they played the four three and and so um you know you know maybe that negated a little bit um kind of the overall what the value of the middle linebacker position was. And so I think that played into that, that aspect of it too. Um, you know, and then Dallas obviously has the, you know, the connection with Bobby of uh, Dan Quinn being there. And then they just have some, you know, they, uh, they have some real linebacker issues as well. And so they kind of have a real need there also. So Bobby would step right into a significant role with that defense and in a defensive scheme that he's, you know, very familiar with. So, um, you know, as far as I can tell, it would kind of be a two team race between those two right now. But, uh, you know, as, as Ed pointed out, and I think as everybody has said from the start, the whole thing is kind of about assessing the value. And, you know, Bobby kind of serving as his own agent. He's still going to want to try to get the best contract he can for himself. So, um, you know, that just might be one of those that kind of becomes a little more clear in a day or two. But you are starting to see, you know, I think in the 10 minutes or so before I got in the air with you guys, um, two more inside linebackers signed deals. So you're, you're starting to see a real run on that position and kind of the value getting set there. Hey, Bob, starting to get kind of nervous uh, with Jordan Brooks and, you know, maybe some talk recently that, well, I mean, he got hurt late, so it's already going to kind of put him up against uh, as far as timing goes. But just, you know, if you've heard anything in that regard and then just where you think Jordan Brooks is as far as he seems like a great leader and, you know, made lots of tackles, not making a lot of plays necessarily, but he's a solid leader and everything. But, you know, just where he is in his career is is he lived up to what they think or they thought he would be well i mean in terms of the injury i mean the, the deal there is acls just take what they take you know they're, they're just kind of not injuries you can rush back from they're not an injury you can kind of just you know play through pain wise or whatever you've got to let the knee heal i actually had acl surgery myself a few years ago and so it's how'd you do that one injury um yeah it was kind of a kind of a dumb both basketball and football kind of thing playing in the backyard and stuff like that it's kind of a gradual thing but I, I yeah i had the total knee reconstruction thing so it's one process that i sort of know a little bit when yeah. when uh, they start talking about it but it kind of just takes what it takes so yeah he got hurt on january 1st and so it's sort of a, a nine to ten month injury recovery but then you know especially for a guy like him who's you know his his speed and obviously his lateral sideline to sideline that that's kind of his big strength so you know, if he's less than 100%, it's it's kind of hard to just rush him out there. So, um, you know, there's no setback or anything like that. It's it's just that it's an injury that takes as long as it takes. Um, you know, I think they felt like he was starting to get more comfortable in the role last year. It was a definite adjustment for him. Um, I, I think having to move, not, you know, not necessarily just moving from kind of one side to the other in terms of weak side to the middle, but having the responsibility of, uh, you know, ha- having the green dot and having to call the plays and having to get, re- uh, having to relay the plays and from the sideline and having to get everybody set. And that's just kind of one of those things that, you know, can slow down your process a little bit. And, and it's just something else you really got to concentrate on. And that was something, no doubt, that Bobby Wagner was, was so good at, you know, from, from, the, you know, the, they always talked about kind of from the first day he stepped into the huddle there as a rookie, he was just so familiar with it and, and he's so comfortable with it. And, you know, with Jordan Brooks, it was something he hadn't done at this level before. And so it was a little bit, I think, of an adjustment for him. I think they felt like it was coming along. And another one of those things, you know, you had not just that he was taking it over, but a lot of things about the defense itself had changed as well. So everybody was adjusted to some new things. So I think, you know, that they were really hoping that, um, you know, in his second year, um, that all of that would become much, much, uh, much easier and better and become much more, uh, much more smoothly at it. So, um, you know, unfortunately, he probably, you know, won't be back in time for training camp or anything like that, just given the, the, the time of that, or, you know, especially not the off-season program. So kind of getting all those kind of reps, you know, he's going to miss out on that this year, unfortunately. 
Hey, do you think they're, they're set on Phil Haynes as their starting guard? They get rid of Gabe Jackson. They cut him. Haynes was rotating with him there. Is he the guy or is he just a guy and they'll get somebody else there as well? What, what's your sense of that? I think they're comfortable enough with it. I don't expect them to go spend more money on a guard. Um, you know, I think that, I mean, they're paying him a little bit and, um, I just think with the, with their the overall needs, I you know I, I know people speculate about some of the free agent guards out there. That would surprise me a little bit if they spent much money there. But that's another spot I think you could go get in the in the uh, in the draft somewhere. I, you know, you could draft a guard or or a guard slash center and go that route. But I think they like Phil Haynes a little bit. I think they definitely want to see what they what they have there. And you know, I think they paid him enough. Obviously, that's not you know, what they're paying him isn't, yeah, he's for sure the guy kind of starter money, but it's enough that you're, you're definitely considering that he could be the starter and I think comfortable enough with it. So I, I don't see them going and, and spending a lot of money on a garden free agency. All right, Bob, who do you think with that number five pick? Um, I, we've gone back and forth. Obviously the signing of Gino is, uh, is significant, but who do you think they end up taking? Any ideas? Yeah. I mean, I still think they stay light on their feet. I think if one, I, I sort of feel like it's there's the top three quarterbacks, Young, Stroud, and uh, and Richardson. And I still think if one of those guys fell to them at five, I still think they'd really consider it. I think if not, I think they'd probably go with one of the top two defensive guys. You know, if uh, Jalen Carter, and obviously there's a little bit of an asterisk there with Jalen Carter and, and with his legal situation. And I think everybody in the NFL hopes that sort of there's a lot more clarity to that by the time the draft rolls around. Um, but if you assume that he's, going to be, you know, that there's not a question about it from that standpoint, and, and you're, you're just considering it from a football standpoint. Um, you know, if somehow Jalen Carter or Will Anderson falls there, I think uh, I think you take the, who you have regarded as the best of those guys, if not one of those if not one of those quarterbacks, but I, you know, I still don't rule out that they would that they would take a quarterback there. I know some people kind of thought, well, that's just lip service to, um, you know, kind of create a market or, or what you would expect them to say. But I think there's some validity to that. I, I think that, you know, just it is such a rare opportunity to draft that highly and potentially get a quarterback that high. Um, I think they would definitely consider it. So I think it's one of those things. I think they'll, you know, have an idea of which way they want to go to, to, depending on what happens uh, with those top four picks. But I, I don't think they're, they're going to be set in stone on, yeah, it's going to be this guy, this guy no matter what. Well, and they, I mean, that's a pretty favorable contract they signed Gino to. They can get out of it after one year and, and be on the hook for, what is it, 27.3, I think, is the number in total. And, I mean, essentially, it's a $25 million a year deal. A lot of incentives. Everybody wins if he reaches those. But, man, they, they I'm, I think most people are surprised that, they, that that's the deal that ended up getting signed. And I'm wondering if you think that means that maybe the market just wasn't there. Dave and I talked a lot about the idea that there's probably a lot of apprehension from opposing GMs going, yeah, that was a brilliant year, no doubt, but is that who he really is moving forward, and are we willing to invest 35 a year, 40 a year in him? And that that deal, to me, said no. Yeah, well, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that anybody was going to go out there and pay, you know, Gino $40 million based on one year. I think if you're Gino's side, you're also looking at it from the other standpoint of there was a lot of unknown about the quarterback situation, um, you know, I mean, we still don't know where Aaron Rodgers is going and, and sort of that domino. And so I think you had some other teams out there um, kind of still waiting to see what's going to happen. And I think if you were Gino, you could maybe have turned down the Seahawks and kind of tried to get into the market and be, be like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. And maybe the dominoes fall well, but if they don't, you could be, you know, you could be really out of luck. And I think in Gino's case, it was sort of a, you know, let's take this. I'm comfortable here. I know if I sign here, I'm going to be the starter in a system that I know in a place where, um, you know, right. He's made a real connection with, with the city and the fans. 
And even if it's just, even if it were just the one year, he's almost kind of doubling what he's made to this point in time. So, um, you know, maybe it's not the, the complete gamble he could have taken on himself and gotten and gotten a little bit more certainty, but it's still not a it's still not a bad deal. And and you know, he is as, as Pete kind of, as Pete said a couple times, uh, you know, kind of betting on himself a little bit that he that he can do that, and it is sort of the win win for everybody if he does that. But you're right from the Seattle standpoint, it definitely gives some flexibility. There's you know, no real guarantees at all, um, you know, starting with after next February, basically, or, or March, whenever that date, that, that date is for that roster bonus. From that point forward, there'd be very few, um, there'd be very few other guarantees in the contract and you could get out of it at any point. So, you know, that's why I still think you could take a young quarterback there and, and not have it be anything that, that necessarily gets in the way of anything you're doing with Gino at the moment. Bob, as always, we appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks a lot, you guys. Thanks, Bob. There you go. Bob Condota of the Seattle Times does a brilliant job uh, covering the Seahawks for the Times and a little little, uh, insight on what the Seahawks have done and, I guess, to this point, what they haven't done. (laughs) They haven't done much outside. I mean, they've obviously Geno was the priority. You need your quarterback. Uh, But, yeah, now they got a lot of holes and they've created more holes as players have left, as we've talked about with, you know, they released uh, Shelby Harris. They cut Gabe Jackson. Uh, Cody Barton goes and signs with Washington. So, you know, there's there's uh, there's some spots that have opened up for competition. Pete loves competition, and by God, it looks like there'll be plenty of opportunities for it. Bob is a guy that gets lots of information and doesn't piss anybody off. Yeah. He does it in a good way, really good way. So, but I yeah, like your first question is about his hair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm worried about my guy, man. the wild hair. <laughs> Bob and I spent a lot of time together writing that book. Poor guy. <laughs> I did I, as a yeah. uh, sort of peace offering. I did buy him uh, launch at Dino's a number uh, of times, so I okay. thought that would maybe smooth things over. <laughs> okay, good. Well, if you missed any of our conversation with Bob, it'll be available on the podcast page for you after the show at SeattleSports dot com. Meanwhile, according to Lefko, Wyman needs some help with his NCAA tourney bracket, so we'll take a look at the field oh coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on seven ten. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks to Bob Condota who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys just tuned in, you missed that conversation. It will be available for you on the podcast page after the show at Seattle Sports. Dot com. All right, we talked about this earlier as far as uh, the NCAA tournament. The brackets have been unveiled. The seating's been unveiled. There was no real outrage this year, which is kind of a bummer. But uh, anybody that you looked at, was there anything you were outraged about, Dave? Was there any team you were looking at going, what the heck? How did this one get in? How did that one not get in? What is going on? These committee members are a bunch of donkeys. No, Bob, no, right? no not at all. <laughs> and the reason why is because I just started paying attention to college basketball. Well, you can't okay. pay too much attention. Because we have to, we have to have you fill out the immediate bracket. Remember, we were talking about doing a little test. Because I told you when I was doing national radio, I never knew more about college basketball than I did college sports. Period. Than I did then, because you just had to know. We talked all the coaches and players. I was dialed in. So you you were naming guys off of At different conferences. Middle Tennessee State. I could have talked to you about their coach. I could have talked Florida State. Just, just yeah, schools that typically aren't the powers in college basketball. And in those years, I never did worse. I yeah. knew more than you, I ever you have. Knew too much. I, I analyze. Well, they, they, this team does. They play this defense. They're not as good. They're not going to match up with that team because they play this kind of offense. And paralysis. Just, by oh analysis. my goodness! And yeah. then years where I was just like, I'm not. Who's the coach? 
What did they, what was their record? Okay, I'll just go with them. Always better. The bracket was the more I knew, and the same was my buddy Tim Brando. He worked at the same spot. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows more about college sports than him. His brackets were always terrible. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the yeah, more you it's... feel like you know or you do know in Tim's case, I think it hurts you. It's those that go in there and just go all willy-nilly and say, well, I like their uniforms. I'm going with this team, or I like that name. I'm going yeah. with that. So you got to fill out one bracket before you study. You said you're going to start studying. you got to do one no study. you just got to go through quick. Just, this I'm just going to look at it. Just yep. go. Just go, boom. I like yeah. this one. I like this one. And then compare it to the one you fill out after you study. Yeah, I'll and I'll do the other one with, you know, before I start looking at numbers and all that stuff. Like like I know what I'm doing. But, <laughs> you know, they, they have a commercial about that, you know, for picking your bracket. It's like mm-hmm. go with your gut. And they're they're like, oh, is that a bird? Oh, it's a blue jay. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. go with Creighton. Yeah, you know. So, uh, but yeah, that and what is it? Something like one in four people will be in some kind of a pool. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it, it's so much fun though. I, I love it. I love everything about it. You're gonna go with the frog horns. My my frog horns. Uh, yeah, TCU. <laughs> my favorite part of yesterday was watching Purdue win the Big Ten <laughs> championship. And then their, which is left coast team, and One then of their 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 coach Matt Painter coming out and just ripping his team basically afterwards and calling the Keystone cops. Yeah, I called them Keystone cops. Well, you just got to, it's easy. You throw and you catch and you run. And, you know, we weren't able to do that somehow. And then she was asking, it was Tracy Wolfson. She was like, well, let's try to keep it positive here, coach. <laughs> what a terrible win. But I was like. That's Lefko. That's that's that Lef- miserable to watch. That's Lefko's mentor, Matt Painter, and myself. We've watched every Purdue basketball game. We had to suffer through all that. You guys suffer get to just another pop in. win. Had- you guys, you guys get to pop in and just see and kind of enjoy the suffering. No, I watched the guy gack two free throws at the end, and then talked about what a terrible win this was going to be, and Lefko <laughs> would Lefko would be unhappy with yeah. it, which he was. And yeah, seventeen Matt Painter. points got down to one within about three minutes. Who won uh, the game? They won. Yeah. All right. I'll tell you what, Penn State looked good. And, uh, but uh, I got to say that Zach Eady kid is really fascinating to watch. I was just like watching him do this drill. You say he looks like a Bond villain? He does. (laughs) He kind of talks like one, too, his post game interview. First of all, they got to get the guy a, a hat that fits. It was oh. a little, he looked like he was wearing one of my hats. Well, he's good. He, <laughs> Actually, Dave, you would like him. Everything's Apparently, big. he uh, dropped a, a bleep bomb. Oh, did during, he? Uh, during why why am I associated with, with swearing? I don't understand that. Much. Yeah, no, his so. association with pooping. Not swearing. Pooping and swearing. <laughs> yeah, what, why that? That's not. That's no good. No, uh, I, I like watching him. I mean, because I was thinking, look, he, bar- he has to jump like 10 inches off the ground to dunk it. But... He has a lot of talent, like how to move inside and how to get. He was totally boxed out uh, last night, and somehow he was able to like backhand a uh, a rebound and put it back up. So how tall uh, is he? What's he listed? He's at? seven four. And mm-hmm. I, what is he like three hundred? Oh, I think he's more than that because he's is that he? big. It's I think I saw three hundred. I thought three ten, three twenty, something like that. Anyway, they've got a big man. They've got a couple of guys from here. I'm trying to remember the name yeah, of the three hundred five. Good call. What's that? Three hundred five. Yeah, so uh, David Jenkins from Tacoma. D- Jenkins, there you go. He's from Tacoma, right? So yeah, I think I like Purdue, but uh, yeah, it was interesting watching uh, <laughs> Matt Paint, Matt Painter, you know, just rip his team, and I'm like, that's where Lefko gets it from. Every yeah. time Purdue wins, Lefko's like, oh, it's a terrible win. You're kidding me. <laughs> He's. He, I feel like you'd almost be more satisfied if they lost, so you could go see. Yeah. See <laughs> now uh, you know why I get this way. That might be going too far. <laughs> I don't know. Right, Lefko. You I would not be happy if they lose. Okay, what are your other teams that you have here that you have a rooting? 
No other college teams. My other team Syracuse. just had their coach try to fire a radio host. Actually, did fire a radio host, and you know, really, who? Uh, Jim Beheim. He got a Syracuse radio host fired. Today. Oh, I read about yeah. that guy. Was it so, him that got it? Got yeah, him that's fired? what everyone thinks because uh, there's some. There's some. They said he was too comments. negative. They well, said he was too negative. There's and... some comments, you know, out there in the story that the owner of the station said, yeah, "My relationship with Jim Beheim, yeah. blah blah blah." So did not hide it at all. The, uh, the thought is that you know Beheim, now no longer affiliated with the university, doesn't have to worry about making it a massive scandal, can get this guy fired because he can do whatever he wants in there. And apparently he can because yeah, that, and so that yeah guy, that's my other team. They are not doing anything good. I gave that guy credit though. He he owned it and said, "Hey, I don't regret anything I've said. I've you know my listeners are, you know, I owe them honesty and and transparency, and that's what I gave them, and I have no regrets." And yeah, well, it's interesting to look at um, you know the different conferences. Uh, Big Ten has eight picks, SEC eight picks, Big Twelve seven, uh, but you look at like on the West Coast, Pac twelve, Pac twelve has four. Yeah, who, who are the four? It's both it was... the Arizona schools, UCLA, and. Uh, USC. USC, yeah. So, and then, you know, you've got the Mountain West, which is, no, West Coast is St. Mary's and Gonzaga, like it always is. What's Gonzaga, three seed? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Mountain West is like Nevada, Utah State, whatever. Um, The American is interesting because it's got Houston and Memphis, and those two teams both good players. I mean, I think Memphis Memphis is one of those kind of upset specials, but Houston is the overall number one seed, I believe. Uh, Alabama. Alabama. Oh, Alabama yeah. did, yeah. So, so, so who's the fourth number one? Purdue. Uh, <laughs> you see that uh, look? Yeah, I forgot about that, man. <laughs> well, so, no, they did get matched up against Memphis, second round. But so. if you look at, like, the map uh, on the United States, I mean, it's just... <sighs> All to the right, over in uh, the East Coast, and oh, yeah. you know, not not a lot of uh, West Coast teams. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's just it's so much fun. I won one year because I watched the Big East tournament. UConn won, and I was like, oh, I love this team. I'm going to go with them, and they end up winning the whole thing. And I think they were like a seven seed or a five. Oh, was or something that uh, like that? 2014? When they had uh, that big run. 2011. 2011, I yeah. think. Yeah, Kemba so. Walker. Yes, Kemba Walker. Yeah, Thank 2011. you. Yep. So before we break, just first blush, do you have a favorite? Do you have a team you feel like, if I'm filling out my bracket this second, this would be the team to win? I like Purdue. <laughs> to win I, it all? I like it. They're a number one seed. They've got, look at it. Mike's laughing at me. They've got the He's big going, man. You silly man. And then Painter, <laughs> never satisfied. Obviously, I think coaching is a big deal. I was going to say Kansas, but hopefully Bill Self coming back. He had a procedure yeah. with his heart. He'll, you know, because they got smoked. By Texas, and it was like right from the beginning, they're leaving just lanes to the basket. They're giving up points right and left, and I'm like, this team used to be really good on defense. I don't know what happened to them that day. So, yeah, I, you look around the rest of them. I feel like Purdue can be. Yeah, well, in all seriousness, it's an easy bracket, but I just it's very tough to trust an all freshman backcourt. And so, Purdue has two freshman guards, and they've looked very. You saw them at the end of that yeah. game when pressure hits; they don't look good. So, who's your pick? Quickly. Um, if Marcus serve. Sasser returns, he had a groin injury. Houston, because they Houston. they have the experience, they made it to the final. You won't four go a chalk years with ago. Alabama, huh? I think right. they could get there. I think Houston wins, though. All right, yeah. all right. Hey, yeah. a reminder: don't forget, you can head to SeattleSports.com/slash/win. You can do it today and register to fill out your bracket for bucks. Your bracket bucks bracket is out there, presented by Muckleshoot Casino. Compete for your shot at great prizes, and there are three chances to win. So, fill out your bracket. And uh, you can you'll be able to find that SeattleSports.com slash win. Coming up, Matt Brash is ready for Team USA.
We'll hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. There's some big news that happened Friday during our show. We talked about the Panthers trading up for the number one overall pick. And with that, you kind of think, okay, they must have done that because they have the quarterback they want in mind. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, though, says that's not necessarily the case. Well, uh, I'm sure in their heart of hearts, they probably know. Uh, but as far as what they're portraying or what people are saying behind the scenes, no. I think um, you know, with 47 days before the draft, my understanding is they have up to three quarterbacks in mind. It, it's, of course, Bryce Young and T.J. Stroud and then uh, one wild card. That could be Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. You know, they, they really have no rush now. They just want to get in position to be able to do it they want and they could back out into another spot you know like let's say fall in love with i don't know will levis right then you know you can get him at three most likely you could move back two spots so there's just there's stuff you could do to to maneuver and uh you know i think they wanted that flexibility how weird would that be if they decided to move back based on i mean look you went to number one to just eliminate any doubt that you're going to get the guy you want and then you know Maybe they put some false information out there. I'm really curious to see who they think the number one quarterback is. It, it seems like a lot to give up in the way of draft capital for one of three guys. Like, well, we're not sure which one we want, but we just want to be in that spot. And then maybe we trade back. That's assuming, it, what do you say, three? So that's the Cardinals. Yeah. The Cardinals going to want to trade up to one? Nope. They, they have their quarterback, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> but at least so they think there, they do. Are they going to trade up to number one for <laughs> Jalen Carter? Or yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that it's that easy. And you, you gave up what you gave up to get there. I'm I'm going to assume that they have a very clear picture of who they want. There yeah. was a target in mind when they made that move. Let's say it's quarterback. Who do you think it is? Lefko. I'm going to say Bryce Young. What do you say? Yeah, probably because the Ohio State thing. I'll say Bryce Young. As well. I, I'm. I, I'm. That's gonna, not. Yeah. That's not wrong because I'm telling you, if he played at it's any other school, yeah. I'd probably go C.J. Stroud. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm going with C.J. Stroud. Right. I think. I think that's going to be the one. But you know, they, they were talking today about Bryce Young and how he. I think it was on the morning show. I was listening to Brock and Salk, and they were talking about Bryce Young and how he's like two oh five, but like he's typically like one ninety, and he's less than five ten, and. He's 5'10 and 1'8. Yeah, they say he's under that, but was that the combine that's measurement? That's the combine measurement. Okay, I'll go well, with them that's over official. Brock and Saul. That's official. Sweeping the dial. All right, World Baseball Classic. Big game tonight. Canada versus the U.S. You mentioned uh, our guy Brent Stecker. He is fired up. He's ready to go. Wearing an incorrect hat. But yeah, the Canadians are... Not even feeling are, conflicted by it at I all. Know. <laughs> Just pure Canada all the way. Well, they are 1-0. Canadians had a big win. 18-8. Uh, to Mercy rule win for Team Canada over Great Britain last night. And a familiar name closed it out. To Deshaun Knowles. Got him! Ball game! Canada finishes it. In the middle of the seventh. Matt Brash out of the bullpen. That was the one thing I paid attention to in the World Baseball Classic. I'm sorry. There was too much going on yesterday. You got there people that are news. worried about your fascination with him, that you're going to jinx him the way no, you did Cody I don't Cody know why Barton. you're saying that. Is that true? All of a sudden, this just popped up about Matt Brash. 
One person. One text. Yeah, one, text. one texter. Yeah. yeah. It leads no, to I, another text. To another text. I don't feel the attachment <laughs> to Matt Brash that I did to Cody Barton. And still do. Just wait till we interview him in person. <laughs> Sounds really creepy. Maybe you will. No, I don't. You know, I'm not going to tell him he looks like he's 12 years old or anything like that. <laughs> he no, he kind of does, Ty friends. Yeah. In all well, seriousness, what? he looks young. Matt I know Brash. he does yeah. look young and you know he doesn't look like overpowering or anything but he threw 12 pitches and 10 of them were strikes uh three strikeouts so I just very curious I think I'm more excited to see I don't know maybe Jared Kelnick see Jared Kelnick if we go down to spring training we see him hit you know a, a home run that'll be that'll be cool but I just want to see what what's so ridiculously historical about Matt Brash <laughs> Sweeping the dial. Uh, yeah, Canada Team USA tonight at uh, 7 o'clock. Now, uh, running track seems to be in vogue for NFL players because we saw DK Metcalf do it last year. Tyreek Hill over the weekend competed in the USA Track and Field Master Series, and he won the 60-meter dash. Tyreek Hill on the blocks as he races for the first time on a track in nine years. Men's 60 meters. And those block start practices were uh, working pretty well during the week. And look at him take the win here as we'll await that official time. But welcome back to the track, Tyreek Hill. You have won the USATF Masters title here at 60 meters. 670 will be the official time. And then he tweeted out he'll never run track again. (laughs) That he was... Said somebody had me looking all crazy out there. I don't know what that means. But uh, what was funny is that uh, there were a couple of uh, Michael Johnson, gold medal winner, multiple gold medals. And there was another female track star, and I can't remember her name. Both kind of going, yeah, that's cute. But one the uh, the girl, and I, I got to find her name. She said, maybe maybe go up against these two high school kids that both had better times than you. <laughs> kind of really? taking shots. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed that because I don't like Tyreek. So, well, yeah. he got he got beat by Micah Parsons. Well, he quit in a forty. Yeah, he just quit. Uh, but yeah, so he, he, I mean, he he got out ahead of those guys, and it wasn't very close. He was he's a fast dude, no question about it. But for whatever reason, said he won't be doing that again after that event, which is a big loss to all of us. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> uh, this is kind of morbid. I, only if he was able to heal and be ready for next year. But I think it would have been kind of funny to see him pull a hamstring. I wouldn't have hurt my feelings at all. No. No, but he uh, he did look, you know, I don't know. They said master. I think it was like 25 to 29 years old or something like that in that group mm-hmm. that he was running with. Um, so, yeah, the, but I just like that she had brought up that the, apparently there were two high school kids that, that had better times in that particular event. So take, take them on. Because I think at one point he had said, I'll take on anybody. I'll, I'll, and then a couple people had offered that were track real track uh, our participants and he apparently didn't respond to them. How would, how would that feel if you're in high school and you know that you could beat Tyree Kill in a 60 meter dash? Pretty cool. Man. 17 <laughs> year old. That'd be pretty cool. Ridiculous. Alright, coming up, big moves on the first day of free agency. Not really with the Seahawks to this point, but they've had an impact on the Seahawks in the division anyway, and we're going to get into what it all means coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.